when when I was going, okay, you know, I've managed to do pretty well in my martial arts. You know, I've got I'm actually a black belt in three martial arts. I'm studying two more. Represented Australia was an instructor as well, and things like that. And when I was reflecting on what I'd learned, um, I was like, you know, I've been successful in sport. How can I apply that to work? Um, and so I followed a lot of the same strategies. So it was persistent. It was training. Um, it was finding people um, like peers to you know to kind of enjoy the process with, have fun with, but also finding people that were a couple of years ahead of me and going, how did you do that? How can I do that and even do that faster? Um, as well as finding finding mentors um, that, that are willing to help you. And, and you know, people are, often, are so helpful, um, but finding, finding masters in the field and going, I want what you have, let me go there. Because um, in that way, you can shortcut the process of getting that experience um, quite a lot. Welcome to the Futures Collective podcast. My name is Akil Kamal. And I'll be talking to young changemakers from around the world. You'll hear from entrepreneurs, artists, activists, athletes, and everything in between. We'll be talking about their journeys, the skills they've found to be most valuable, and the issues they are passionate about, breaking them down in a way that is going to empower you with different pathways to find true success and fulfillment. Today, my guest is Kirsten Overpriller. She's a lead gamification expert and the co-founder of Pentaquest, who's on a mission to become the world's leading provider of gamified experiences that nudge behavior towards performance and positive culture. She talks a bit more about that in our discussion, but Kirsten is an absolute superstar. Her journey hasn't been so straightforward. She started off with an educational background in psychology and commerce, uh, moved towards being a design thinking consultant, and then worked her way into the field of gamification. But throughout all of that, Kirsten has represented Australia as an athlete at the highest level. So I talked to her about how it was balancing all of that as a young person and finding what her passions really are and how she was able to navigate that in a way that was effective. I hope you guys enjoy. Really appreciate you coming on today, Kirsten. I'm really excited um, knowing your background to really talk through um, some of the key learnings you've had along the way in it and um, really translate that into something that young people can take away Mm -hmm. my pleasure thanks for having me no worries um so just to set a bit of context why don't we start out by letting everyone know what you're currently doing work-wise and yeah what are your focuses in life at the moment yeah great Uh, so i'm co-founder and lead gamification designer of pentaquest um so it's a company um i started um and we look at using gamification to help um teams and companies solve their problems Um, So for people who don't know what gamification is, it's basically taking the things that make games fun um, to the game mechanics there and applying them to real life. Um, So creating game-like experiences um, for teams as they work together to um, achieve goals or or build culture, or it could be... um, working with clients that have, um, you know, some mandatory content that people need to learn, but rather than reading a 100-page boring document, making that more mm-hmm. into a game. Um, so so that's basically what we do. Um, and that's something that I've been working in um, for the last couple of years. I'm also doing my PhD in gamification. So I'm a, I'm a pretty obsessed with it and I'm, um, yeah, very, very passionate <laughs> about it. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, it sounds like you're, you've got a lot on your plate at the moment and it's going to be interesting to know um, how you've gotten to where you are because I think you're really the only person personally that I know of that is so deeply involved in the gamification field. It's something that I don't think is seen as a traditional career pathway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's, let's start off um, by looking at 
yeah, what, what was your childhood experience like? Where did you grow up, at, um, Kirsten? Yeah, sure. So um, I was born in South Africa um, and I lived there until um, I was 10. Um, so I moved to Australia um, because my father got a job here and, um, you know, Australia is just such, a, such an amazing place um, to grow up. Um, uh, yeah, so that was a, a really big sort of formative uh, experience. Um, and I, I moved to Australia. It was quite different um, in terms of, uh, you know, culture and language as well. Didn't learn English um, until I came here. Um, uh, but what a, what a beautiful country um, and the society and the safety. So I, I count myself as Australian now, you know, 20, <laughs> 21 years later. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I guess that was my childhood. Yeah, and what was that transition like for you moving um, from South Africa to school here in Australia? What, what were some of the things you noticed from a young age as a uh, some points of difference, particularly in education? Yeah, well, <clears throat> um, uh, I guess I'm, I'm slightly um, like an outlier in, in the way, in the sense that um, even though I was living in South Africa, um, I was part of a, a German community. So I went to a private mm. German school. So that was sort of, um, you know, a European style um, education. And when I came here, it felt so the school over there, for example, uh, was a lot stricter. Um, so, you know, we had a traditional yeah. chalkboard with everyone in their individual um, sort of little chairs facing forward. Um, and then yeah. coming here to Australia, you know, we had we were sitting in pods, there was carpet on the floor, and it was just a lot sort of friendlier. <laughs> um, so yeah. that was one thing. But I guess um, the I remember asking my mum, we were driving along, um, and I was like, mum, why aren't there any fences around the houses? Like people are just going to walk in yeah. and steal our stuff. And she said, yeah. no, people just don't do that here. And I was like, what? Get out. What? <laughs> obviously, obviously it happens as well, but just not nearly to the same extent. Yeah. Um, so that sort of per, like constant fear or anxiety about your personal safety is something that um, that was different uh, and, and obviously great uh, in Australia. So that was, that was one thing. And um, Australia yeah. obviously is a lot more multicultural as well, um, which is great. Yeah. No, definitely. And it's always interesting to ask everyone that I have on, um, reflecting back on your younger days, whether it be, you know, primary school, high school, um, do you notice any of the traits that are really prominent in yourself now, um, having shown itself, you know, in your sort of formative years? That's a really, you ask some really deep questions. Good on you. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I certainly, um, you know, obviously everybody changes and grows and matures and things like that. Um, when, I, when I moved to Australia, I started martial arts and my master instructor was a really big uh, influence in my life in terms of um, believing in me more than I believed in myself and, and pushing me to, to set goals and, and, and grow and, and learn different things. Um, so I certainly um, have a lot of uh, skills I learned through that that I apply now. Um, but one of the things, so I guess there's two things. One, I always felt until I was probably in my late teens or even my early 20s, I kind of felt like I wasn't good at anything in particular. <laughs> um, yeah. so friends that were like, oh, you're really good at sport or you're really smart or you're really artistic or whatever it might be. And I was like, I feel like I'm kind of like a master of none. Like I don't have any one yeah. skill, you know. Um, one thing that I, I've always been is um, – uh, I guess, uh, eager to get things done. So um, I was born two months premature. So my mum says I was um, impatient even before I was born. <laughs> so I think one, one of the traits that I carry now is just this ability to get shit done, basically. Um, mm. And I'm just really driven to, you know, set something and just get it done, whatever it is. Um, and that, that's helped me a lot now. And, and actually the 
the sort of feeling that I had, like, I'm not good at anything. I don't feel that way anymore. I've got, you know, areas of specialization. Having said that, mm. I'm still um, quite of a generalist in terms of I've got a range of skills in a range of different um, fields. Um, and rather than when I was younger, that, that kind of felt like, oh, I'm not good at anything compared to other people. But actually having multiple skills has allowed me um, – to go further because, and especially as an entrepreneur, you have to be aware of so many things. Um, so that really helps me, um, helps me now. Yeah, definitely. And how did you go around really, I guess, developing those skills and sort of refining them and fine tuning them? Um, I think particularly, you know, skills that you find have been really useful to you throughout your, your own ventures and um, research and the work that you've done. Um, do you know, do you notice any, uh, experiences, yeah, a bit earlier on. It might even be through your early university days mm. that um, were really key in sort of shaping your skill set that you've got at the moment. Mm, yeah. So I guess there's um, there's sort of two two key ones that that come to mind. Um, and the first one is about resilience. Um, now, as an entrepreneur, that's mm. very important, but it's also important just as anybody who's focused on their career or their education and wants to do well, because um, mm. you know you're not going to get everything that you want all the time, or, or not right away. And so then the question is, what do you do when you are greeted with failure? Um, and so I learned um, resilience from from my martial arts training. So um, I'm a fifth dan um, black belt in taekwondo, and I represent Australia multiple times. And so you, you know, yeah. just you know, you, when you start as a white belt, you're not like, you know what? I'm going to represent Australia. <laughs> you know, so it's something that you build yeah. up towards over time. And and even when I made that choice to be like, okay, I've been competing. I think I'm I may be uh, I may be good enough uh, to represent Australia, but I don't know. It's a big scary thing. But let's just try. Um, mm. So that training all the time, like twice a day, every day was was um, was hard, you know, and it's, and it's a competitive environment. But through that, I learned to yeah to be quite resilient, um, and that definitely helps mm. in uni, um, in 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 my early career and my sort of corporate career, and then now um, as an entrepreneur as well. Yeah. And the other one is um, is time management, um, which is sort of sort of like I like to think of it more as like personal task slash time management. Um, but when when I was, um, I was I did a double degree at uni, so I was studying. Um, I was training in martial arts, like I said, quite um, quite a lot, um, yeah. and uh, but also working just to try to like pay for you know pay for me to go overseas yeah. and train and things. Definitely. Um, and so because I was managing multiple things, I really had to learn to to manage my time. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't always pretty, but because I learned those those skills um, in, in college and then in uni as well. They just help so much now, um, especially, you know, because I don't just manage my own time, but I manage other people's time as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so interesting uh, and, and really admirable as well that through uni you were able to um, dial in so much on your martial arts career as well as getting clear on, you know, um, where you wanted to go and, and ultimately ending up in gamification. Mm. How did you really balance all the commitments that you've had Um particularly from from the time when it started to build up, um, you know, as you were going through university and you had those commitments starting? Yeah, really, really good question. Um, I guess, you know, people often are like, wow, you're crazy. Why did you do so many things? Um, <laughs> and really it was just because I was excited by them and I was passionate about them. Yeah. So I thought, why not? Um, it also, I think, partly comes from a, from a deeper sort of um, belief that in this amazing country that we live in, there are so many opportunities um, that it's not just my 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 privilege to be able to to work on things and, and be the best I can, but it's actually my my duty. 
Um, because yeah. we have so many opportunities. We have safety, we have fresh air, we have, you know, food, we have, we have so much amazing, um, amazing, uh, amazingness here in, in Australia. And out of this time, um, you know, like, you know, there's, there's just so much benefit to where we're living now. Um, I've, I've just been driven to be able to, to not waste it and not to take it for granted, uh, I guess. I yeah, no, definitely. Or not. <laughs> De- definitely, no, definitely, 100%. Um, and, yeah, did you start to experience, um, I know you mentioned in your Quickfire episode that, uh, you know, you had some issues around actually doing too much and your, your mm. body um, feeling the effects of that. Yes. How did you start to deal with that experience of burnout and that experience of, you know, actually starting to realise that, oh, wait, I do have a capacity, I do have my limits. Mm. Um, and you know, I need to make sure that I take care of myself first to yes. really be as good as I can um, in the work that I'm doing. Thank you for asking that because um, I think I think it's a real balance between doing the right amount of stuff, um, doing too little, and doing too much. I think a lot mm. of people do too little um, in terms of they they think there's only so much that they can do. Um, which are quite limiting beliefs. So I, I like to kind of push people to go, actually, there's a lot more that you can do. We all have 24 yeah. hours in a day. It's just about how you spend that. You know, if we ha- spend eight mm. hours at school or work, eight hours of sleep, you only have eight hours to do whatever. And we often fill that with, mm. you know, stuff that's not necess- not necessarily yeah, very productive. Yeah. And so, mm. you know, when, when, I, when I was working, I was um, – studying but I was also starting to work on the business part-time and people were like wow how do you do that and I was like well I've got the same amount of hours that you do I just spend them differently so um so I guess the first thing is most people I think limit themselves by not doing enough having said that yeah. um there are people um, and myself included that then I took that too far um, so that I um, I caught uh, glandular fever and that developed them in, into chronic fatigue. Um, so for, for listeners that don't know what chronic fatigue is, pretty much what it sounds like, you're extremely, extremely exhausted for a long time. And I don't just mean tired, like, you know, lifting my finger would be exhausting. I would be so exhausted that I couldn't even um, – finish a thought like a thought in my head like I would start thinking it and then I couldn't remember because I didn't have enough energy yeah so really really extreme and it wasn't that extreme for the whole time as I got better but it's not just like I'm a bit tired having said that um you do need to listen to your body and this is and this is what I learned because I was doing not only was I doing a lot but I think that's how I was approaching those things um so I would be approaching them by putting a lot of pressure on myself um feeling quite stressed the way I used to view weekends was like, okay, everybody else is resting. Now I need to work harder to, I don't know, get get in front or whatever. Um, yeah. So, and and so chronic fatigue for me lasted for for six years. Um, getting slowly better, having relapses throughout that time. Um, it's also a hard thing because not 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 all doctors believe it exists. Um, there's a lot of sort of controversy around it, and there is there's no mm. one cure. So I had to kind of navigate the health system, explore alternative um, ways of, of health, um, and, and get myself better. Um, which which um, I'm very grateful to say that I did. Um, yeah. And so now if I look at my life compared to that, because that was such a painful experience for me because I essentially had to give, give up my life that, that I was mm. loving. Um, it was so painful. Now I'm, I'm very conscious of it. So if I compare my life, I'm doing a lot now, running my business, doing my yeah. PhD. I'm still training, not as much. You know, I have, you know, like, you know, a family and friends that I want to spend time with as well. So I still do a lot, but the way I approach it is different. So a couple of um, things, and everyone has to work out their own, but a couple of things I do – for example, for me, eight o'clock, 
after eight o'clock, I don't, I don't work, I don't study, I just relax and hang out with yeah. with my family and friends. So that's one thing I, you know, I, I essentially turn the phone off and I don't think about it. You know, if if the office is burning down, someone will call me. Of course, I'll respond. But other than that, no yeah. emails. You know, try to avoid social media and things as well after eight o'clock. Um, another thing yeah. I do is that like Saturdays is my is my day off. So Sundays I'm working on my PhD. I'm studying. Um, during the week, you know, I'm running my business. But Saturdays is housework, chilling out going to the movies, hanging out with my friends. Um, and so for me, some of those things help put in place. Because um, the, the other thing for me, I think, when you're not doing an activity, and I know this is very common for students that are studying, when they don't study, they're like, oh, my God, I should be studying. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you have this constant guilt, right? Um, and I, that's part of, I think, what got me sick is I, when I wasn't doing something, I was stressed that I wasn't doing that thing. <laughs> Whereas now I yeah. go, you know what, it's okay. I, I've done what I can today. Um, now it's my time to rest and relax um, because when you're trying to do something new, you're trying to learn, um, you're trying to be creative, um, you, you know, you have to have enough energy to, to do that. So then now I view my um, my downtime not as being lazy but as a very important part of me being able to achieve and, and be productive. Definitely, and that's something I've found consistent across people that I've spoken to um, who have gone through similar things um, of actually trying to deal with the burnout, deal with the, the stress and the overloading of work that some of them have gone through mm. um, to, in the process of getting to where they are now. Uh, yeah, 100%, um, I think, to pe- the majority of people I've spoken to, dialing back and taking a step back actually allows you to do more. Um, yes. And it's something... That I think particularly with the way, you know, we see celebrities and public figures on social media, seeing them work, work, work all the time. Mm. It's really hard to get our head around the fact that actually dialing it back and taking a step back and giving time for yourself is going to make you a lot better at doing um, what you want to do. And actually you can get there a lot faster because you, your mind is clear. Exactly. And it, it's counterintuitive. So you're like, that doesn't make any sense, but but that's 100% what it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, totally. Um, and I'd love to know, you know, being someone who has um, is not just an entrepreneur, but also an athlete and represented Australia mm. um, through your your martial arts. What are some of the biggest um, things that you've learned from, you know, going uh, being an athlete at that level? Um, there's a lot. I did. Uh, I, I represented for for many years, um, and I, I still train in martial arts now. Um, there's actually a lot, and I think I think there's a lot of um, skills that I learned from my sport um, that helped me in, in my career and now in my business as well. And I didn't uh, really recognize yeah. it at the time because I was just kind of you know having fun and and uh, and doing yeah. that. Um, uh, especially with martial arts, there's a lot of um, a lot of discipline. Um, so the discipline of getting up, going to training, the discipline of pushing yourself, um, the discipline in terms of technique and doing it correctly and, and just practicing over and over until you get it right um, definitely definitely, um, definitely help. Um, so, so there's the discipline um, and the sort of um, persistence. Um, in terms of like yeah. having achieved a measure of success in that, when, when I was going, okay, you know, I've managed to do pretty well in my martial arts, you know, I've got, I'm actually a black belt in three martial arts, I'm studying two more, represented Australia, was an instructor as well and things like that. And when I was reflecting on what I'd learned, um, I was like, you know, I've been successful in sport, how can I apply that to work? Um, and so I followed a lot yeah. of the same strategies. So it was persistent, it was training, um, it was finding people um, like peers to, you know, to kind of 
enjoy the process with, have fun with, but also finding people that were a couple of years ahead of me and going, how did you do that? How can I do that and even do that faster? Um, as well as finding yeah. finding mentors um, that, that are willing to help you. And, and you know, people are, often, are so helpful, um, but finding finding masters in the field and going, I want what you have, let me go there. Because um, in that way, you can yeah. shortcut the process of getting that experience um, quite a lot. Um, so I applied that with my work and then applied it again with gamification um, because it's you know it's it's a new field it's evolving but it's trying to find who are the people that are that are that are pushing the forefront of this field what are they doing um and and reflecting that and then and then adding my own contribution as well yeah no definitely and i think you know having that support network and having that those people around you that really i guess amplify the impact that you're able to make is absolutely so important um and yeah, I really want to delve in right now, Kirsten, into gamification. And I know it's an area that you're really passionate about. Um, so yeah, essentially for a start, why don't we, I guess, explain why why you're so passionate about gamification and what you see, what you see. Yeah, yeah. So um, when when I was at uni, I, I did a double degree in psychology and commerce, and I was doing management and marketing as the majors in commerce. And when I was doing it, people kind of said that's weird. Why are you studying those two things? It doesn't make any sense. But yeah. I was like, what? It makes perfect sense to me because it's all about people. Um, and so, um, and as, as an athlete as well, I was looking at how can I like hack my performance? Like, performance yeah exactly yeah. you know and and so you know i'd have like little affirmations on post-its stuck around i'd have my goals i have my vision board i'd have all this sort of stuff um and i found mm-hmm. that it worked um for my uh my sport and so then um so that this is sort of this, this interesting tension i had between the individual psychology and then the, the organization um and uh when i finished uni i um got a job with a design thinking company um so i was learning um business business consulting learning design thinking in a more creative way of problem solving um and then when i came across gamification it was like a light bulb went off i was just like oh yeah. my god here we go here's what the bridge is between the individual motivation and psychology and the broader organization and how you can kind of bridge that gap and, and really tie them and do it in a fun yeah. way because uh, people people are people. We're human. We like to play. Um, and I think as we get older and as we get indoctrinated to businesses and things like that, um, we often forget and we kind of have to be this professional adult. And, and I just fundamentally don't believe that – one, I don't believe that they're sort of two separate things, but I think that we, we kind of forget that we like to have fun as well. And so – for me, gamification yeah. is about merging those two worlds um, and, yeah, pushing people, getting people to think a little bit differently and just to have a bit more fun in their work as well. Yeah, definitely. And what are some of the, the interesting applications that you've been able to develop um, for clients, for example, and even applications that you've seen around the world that have been really effective uh, and sort of exemplify what, why you're passionate about? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's just there's hundreds and hundreds of examples. Um, mm-hmm. uh one that's 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 really exciting me at the moment um, is a fairly uh, it's a project with a large uh, organization um, of about two and a half thousand people and we're working with them to gamify the professional development of their staff um, so basically mm. um, we've built a platform that lets um, that rewards people for doing things like having uh, regular catch-ups with their manager doing their their online learning attending networking events um, a whole range of different professional development tasks um, mm. and um, there's a couple of different um, points that they get. So there's like experience points, um, points for their team, um, fire points, which is more like a fun, <laughs> fun sort of one. Um, and they can also yeah. see how they're going, see how their team's going. 
um, and also redeem that in for, for some rewards. Um, and so what, what I really like about that is that it's adding tangible value, tangible measurement and tangible reward um, to things that often get unrecognized in organizations, such as the effort yeah. you make to continuously develop yourself, um, which is really important for the organization. Um, mm. so, so that's one. Um, another one um, that uh, I worked on last year was, was great was for, for teachers and um, how do you motivate teachers to do um, to, to embrace innovative ways of, of teaching? Um, and so we developed a gamification um, platform for them. And when I say platform, this was because um, gamification doesn't just need to be digital. Um, it can be um, pen and paper. So this was like a physical board with physical things that they could mm. use. Um, um, and that was just fantastic to see teachers who were very busy um, and, uh, and you know, have to deal with uh, kids and parents and admin and everything else yeah. um, through the gamification, feel like they were more connected with their team, um, see mm. how much difference they're making. Um, and there was also this particular mechanic where you could kind of show appreciation for each other. So it was a really nice way to kind of build up that team. Um, so that was another one that I, that I really like. Yeah, definitely. And it sounds, you know, really interesting, I'm sure, that people that are listening and interested if they look into it or they'll be able to find, you know, gamification popping up in so many aspects of their lives yes. quite naturally anyway. Um, but I think looking a bit a bit deeper, a, a lot of us that are part of this Futures Collective community are very interested in creating an impact, um, mm-hmm. particularly around social issues. Where do you see gamification playing a role, in, particularly with those really big social issues, uh, you know, that uh, are questions for everyone at the moment? Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, well, this is partly what gets me really excited about gamification is that it's got the power to to nudge behavior, not just at an individual level or a team level, but even at a society level. Um, I did a, a TED talk uh, last year where, where I kind of talk about this. Um, and I'm actually in a couple of conversations with, uh, with clients about how can we use gamification at a big scale, like all of Australia and even international or, or multinational, which is really cool. So um, one of the organisations we're working with is actually um, like a volunteering uh, organisation. And so they, they have like a way to to find volunteers or, or to offer your skills. Um, but what gamification can do is um, not just like it can track the impact that you're making because it can re- like reward and recognize people for individual actions, but you can actually aggregate that up at a whole level. Um, yeah. So, and, and one of the, one of the, um, another example of gamification for, uh, for, for social good is called jewel bug. Um, J O U L E B U G jewel bug. Um, this one's a free one. And this was looking at, um, environmental sustainability so basically you, you get on there you presented with a whole list of different small little actions you can take whether it's turning off the tap or you're brushing the teeth or recycling or um, packing your lunch instead of buying it or whatever um, and you can get um, certain points for that as for that um, you can also challenge each other and one of the things that it does is it actually measures how many kilograms of carbon dioxide you've saved, how many litres of water you've saved and how much waste you've diverted so yeah um, a really cool way to to feel like, yes, I'm making a difference. It also educates you because it gives you a whole bunch of things um, and it also measures it. So there's definitely so much potential there. Yeah, no, definitely, 100%. And I think, um, you know, a cons- uh, this is this is absolutely incredible and I'm personally very excited and very optimistic about where things can go, um, particularly with the integration of gamification. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know, you know, listening from your TED Talk as well and I know questions I'm sure have come up particularly 
um, you know, with people that have been interested in your work um, would obviously revolve around around ethics and around morals, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with incorporating gamification at that social level. Yes. Um, you know, how do we make sure that we're um, being representative of people? How do we make sure that we're not abusing the data and the information um, mm. that, that is being collected uh, to, in order to make gamification applications really effective? That's great. Thank you so much for raising this because this, this is really important. Um, yeah. I kind of take it for granted because I only do gamification uh, in a way that helps people have positive experiences, but there are yeah. people um, out there that, that are more interested in using gamification just for for boosting productivity or, or money. Um, yeah. Not to say that those aren't part of the considerations because they are, but the, the very first question that you should always ask is, is this is gamification the right uh, solution for this problem? Mm. Because gamification, and obviously I'm a big advocate for it, it can be used for a whole range of different uh, different problems, um, yeah. but you always need to pass that first test. Um, and, in fact, when, when Pentaquest works with clients, all of our clients and our projects go through an ethical screening process, mm. um, which basically means if the company is considered to you know, to be bad or the project is, is bad. And when, when I, when I say bad, it could be having a negative impact on the environment or the people or any other aspect. Um, then we we simply don't work with them um, because we're we're signed up to the United Nations sustainable, sustainable development goals. Um, which means that all of the projects we do aim to affect change at that level, um, in some way. Um, so yeah, so the, so the way to do that, I guess, is the very first thing, run a bit of a screen for it, make sure that um, that this is the right solution. And then as you're going through, it's always about optimising um, choice. Um, it's not about forcing people to play. Um, and if you do, for whatever reason, have to sign up everybody, don't punish people if they're, if they're not playing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and really making sure that, that, it's, that, it's, um, that it's positive and not having any detrimental effects. Um, and so that's all built in part of our, our methodology that we use. Um, lots of user testing, making sure that... Um, that we've considered all angles, different user types, different needs, um, and uh, and making sure that there's no unintended consequences um, through the behaviour. So um, we do that through a lot of testing as well as um, uh, you know piloting it and, and and really working it out before it's released um, as a as a big thing. Yeah, no, definitely, um, and I think it's it's so important, uh, and it's great to hear that you guys are very much putting those values and those ethics at the forefront um, of your work, which is, you know, yeah. um, absolutely great. I think it's what's going to help make sure that, you know, whatever technolo- technological innovations we do have, um, in this case through gamification, do move in the right direction, um, which is obviously... It's so important. Yeah, definitely what, what we all want to see. Um, mm. I know, you know, there there have obviously been, been things around... Um, concerns you know if you've seen stuff like black mirror um social scoring systems um that ultimately do take these things to um to a very uh questionable um stage in a questionable area Mm. um yeah what are your thoughts on uh, i'm not sure if you've seen much of black mirror itself or i'm sure i'm sure you've seen seen you've seen um concerns around uh applications are there is there anything that you've seen that that is um quite concerning at this stage around around where things uh, may go yeah yeah and the the um i guess there's two two black mirror episodes one is is also about a more virtual augmented reality um type of thing um and then the the more recent one of um the nosedive episode on season three i think um now that episode actually um is is pretty well it's based on based on two examples um one is, is more of a one doesn't exist anymore um 
and that was a like an aggregate score for your social media yeah. um, stuff, like how good are you at social media type thing. Yeah. Um, but then the other one that, that it's, it's sort of largely reflecting uh, is what's called Sesame Credit um, in China. Um, so that one, um, the... <laughs> The, the good thing about it is it shows gamification at a, at a national scale. The yeah. very bad thing about it is that it's it's violating individual rights. Mm. Um, so basically for people who hadn't heard of it before, um, it, uh, it looks at rewarding people for their social media um, posts, for their purchases, and you get what's known as a Sesame Credit score. Yeah. Now, if you're a high scorer, you can do things like book a hotel without a deposit or you can get applications done faster because you're seen as a trustworthy citizen. So you're like, that's cool. I am a good person. I would like, you know, give me some benefits for yeah. that. The bad thing is when when you have a low score, um, recently it's come out that some people aren't able to take public transport and things like that because their score is too low. Mm. Um, so that's when it starts to get uh, like being taken too far. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that that serves as a really interesting real life uh, warning of, of where it could go um, if you don't apply proper proper ethics to mm. it. And I think just, yeah, ultimately making sure that whatever you're designing that involves something like gamification is human-centered and it's designed around the people um, and providing a solution for the people that are going to be experiencing the impacts of it. Exactly. And, and you know, People shouldn't be afraid of gamification because it's just like any other technology. Mm. So I could use my mobile phone for good, like calling my grandma on the other side of the world, yeah. or I could be using it to plan like serious organized crime. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not the phone's fault; it's it's how it's being used. If that definitely, makes sense. Um, and so gamification is the, the the same that it can be used for good or it can be used for evil. Um, but you just need a make sure as you're going through that you're doing it with ethics and you're doing it with a proper process. Yeah. Um, and I think like the majority of people in the gamification space want that. Um, mm. And, but sometimes it can be those un- un- unintended consequences. Definitely. Um, and obviously the, the Sesame credit example is in China, which is um, a different, um, a different society. And um, so, you know, it might work for them, but it sounds like it's not working for everybody. So yeah. 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 No, a hundred percent. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, personally very excited to see where where things go uh from here and i remember speaking to one of my most recent guests um marine who's from london and runs um an agency for visual artists um she was talking about how one of her biggest passions um is to actually see art integrated in urban spaces um and i can obviously because you know there's a lot of research around you know it helping with people's um mental health self-esteem but also um, really enriching the the quality of con- things people consume on a daily basis rather than just being, you know, trashy TV or, or junk media. Mm. Um, and I can mm. see, you know, 100% these really um, interesting networks and interesting ways that things like integrating art in urban spaces and gamification, for example, can play. Um, and I'm sure that that's the same across a range of different things um, that gamification can actually have an impact on um, so many stuff to really enable it to engage people in a more meaningful way. Yeah, definitely. And there's some, some great examples of, um, of kind of simple gamification for community spaces mm. as well, like um, putting, putting, encouraging people to, to put their rubbish in the correct bin uh, or in the bin in general. Um, so there's, there was an example of um, it's called the world's deepest bin. Uh, there's a YouTube video you can look up, uh, which is basically a normal bin, but what they installed was a little sensor so that when you put your trash in, it sounded like, the piece of rubbish was falling for a very long time. And it was like, how deep is this? What is that? You know, and just the fact that it was, so it's very simple, but it's quite fun. Yeah. Um, sort of helped that. Um, and there was a, like another example of 
um, of like an old school arcade um, bottle bank recycling. And so rather than just having the bin where you put your bottles, it's sort of turned it into like put the bottle in the hole where the light flashes and you get some points right. and things like that. Um, so there's definitely interesting ways you can use use, use fun and use playfulness uh, to engage people in, in, an, in, an, in a community and in an urban Yeah, setting. definitely. I'm excited to see where, where this all goes. Um, and I think, you know, coming to sort of the, the end of our, our discussion here, Kirsten, um, I wanted to really mm-hmm. know for you personally, what's next? What's next with Pentaquest? Um, ultimately, what, what are your goals? What's your vision? <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really excited. There's, I've got lots of different things on the horizon. Um, for for Pentaquest, um, we plan on using gamification to solve a lot more problems at a, at a social big yeah. level. Um, so we've got um, lots of exciting work, some of which I can talk about, <laughs> some of which I can't, um, happening there. Um, we're also um, uh, increasing our team and building um, software as a service um, gamification platforms. Um, so basically um, letting people... Um, hop onto a platform, customize it, and and use the power of gamification without needing to go through this whole big um, design yeah. design process. Um, so um, developing up that, um, I'd love to work in 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 some other um, uh, fields like health and fitness and mental well being and, and and exploring how we can use gamification for that. Um, and then um, so that's that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and then for for me personally, um, I'm uh, going to finish my PhD probably in the next year. So that's that's a exciting yeah, master. I've obviously been doing it part time, so that that will take a while. Um, and then after that, I'll actually be writing a book on gamification. So once the PhD is done, um, I'll focus yeah, on that. Yeah, great. You've, it definitely sounds like you've got a lot on, but it also sounds like you're you're pretty clear on where you're headed. So I'm excited to see where that all goes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me too. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I think it was great to delve into gamification, but also a whole range of other things that I think uh, are really important for young people to know um, and understand, you know, growing up through their busy university and high school lives. Mm, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've, I've really enjoyed it and uh, I love okay. your questions and I hope um, your, organi- uh, your, uh, your listeners got um, as much out of it as I did. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Kirsten. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. See ya. Thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you found it valuable and be sure to check out all of the other discussions with amazing guests like we had on today. Just before you go, I do want to ask one thing. I'd love it if you could leave a review for this podcast on whatever apps you're using. It means that I can get feedback, whether it be great or constructive about what we're doing and how we can make it better. But also, it makes it a lot more accessible for anyone who doesn't know about the podcast yet to discover it, especially if this is a topic and these are issues that they really do want to hear about. Thank you. Hope you have a great week ahead and see you next time.